Welcome to Her Herd. This week, we talk with Claire. Claire shares with us her journey through pregnancy, birth, and fertility. She particularly highlights the creative solutions that she came up with and the struggles her and her husband had through miscarriage and navigating that in a rural community. Claire herself has come up with some incredible creative solutions in order to address the needs that she saw didn't exist in her community when she needed them. Thank you so much, Claire, for sharing your story, and I hope that you're able to take something away from this one. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who's in your family and where you live? Uh, so I have my husband, Jake, and our two little boys, Roscoe and Jimmy. Roscoe is almost five and Jimmy is almost two. Lovely. And you're living on a property? Yes, we live just south of Kentucky. Um, so we live on the New England Highway. We've got 600 acres, um, some cattle, dogs. Plenty of things to keep you busy. Yes. So why don't you take me to, Roscoe's your oldest, why don't you take me to um, when you started to think about starting a family and that pregnancy? Yeah, sure. So um, we pretty much just decided um, to see how things go. I always kind of thought I would have problems. I was always a little bit iffy about having kids, but we just thought we would hurry up and see what would happen. And um, Roscoe was actually super easy and almost textbook um, from start to finish. He was um, a really easy pregnancy. Um, Not much uh, happened with him and birth-wise was pretty much the same as well. It was um, a really enjoyable, lovely experience, really. I felt like I was that that pregnant woman that always says how wonderful pregnancy is and the glow. Yes, I loved it. Loved it. Which is the opposite to the incontinent cat yeah. that I have used to describe myself in previous posts. So um, let me just take you back a little bit. So you're saying here was textbook. It was really easy. Did you fall pregnant easily? Yeah, um, straight away, pretty much. Um, and later on in my story, uh, you can probably tell that um, we can fall pregnant really easily and quickly. That I, That's not really my issue. Um, but, yeah, with Roscoe, it was instant. Um, pretty much the next month I was pregnant. And so what about care providers? So you fall pregnant with Roscoe, and so how you, how did you navigate what services you could use in your local community? Uh, so uh, I'd have to go to Armadale. So that's probably about 45-minute drive from our farm. Uh, and it was just go to your GP and then once, I think it was once I was about 20 weeks or 22 weeks, I'd go and see the midwives at the hospital in Armadale. And so was there a group practice program or was it a mid- different midwife every time? A different midwife every time, um, which with Roscoe, it didn't, it wasn't too bad. Cause again, I had no problems or issues with, um, with my pregnancy, so um it was fine to see a different midway. And it, he was my first as well, so I had really no expectations of what to expect or I was really I was slung for the ride. Absolutely. And so take me to the day um, that you went into labour. So I um, had, with Roscoe, um, I had high um, blood pressure. So um, I actually got over my due date. I was actually uh, due on Boxing Day. 
the Christmas day, I was just watching the clock thinking, please don't come now because I just thought, what a not fun birthday to have for him. Um, and then the next day I thought, okay, any time from now would be great. Um, and because of my high blood pressure, um, I already had a scheduled appointment um, the following day just to check up on where I was at. And I had that appointment and Roscoe still wasn't anywhere near coming along. Um, and they said, oh, tomorrow you'll be induced. And I was like, what does that mean? And they're like, you're not leaving without your baby pretty much from tomorrow onwards. So go home, pack your bag, come come back up here. And that decision was made based upon your blood pressure? Yeah, purely I uh, was on medication for my blood pressure. And because I was over my due date as well um, and just my blood pressure, they just thought. The heat. Yeah, and it was December. And I'm in a hospital at that stage. Maternity ward didn't have air con either. Uh, but, um, yeah, they were just like, look, it's it's better if you just come in and we'll start the process. So um, I I got in and they um, induced me, um, uh, yeah, and it just basically went back to my room. Um, and then nothing happened. Um, I was there all day and that, that night and was just still nothing happening. The next morning we had a, um, a locum um, obstetrician. Um, and, um, him and the midwives were actually at heads. Um, he was saying to do a C-section and the midwives were saying, no, um, we want her to deliver, um, or at least try. How far along had you been or how long had you been in labor? I hadn't even started labor then. Okay. So when you say you were induced, were you given some tape or were you given a the gel? No, the, the gel. Um, so the gel the following the the first morning the gel um, and that was when nothing I no contractions nothing was happening, so the next morning the midwife said after this um, obstetrician said C section, um, the midwife said no we're going to induce you again with the gel, and if that then doesn't happen we'll look at what your options are, so I got induced again they said look just go for a little walk or go for a coffee, so my husband and I we went and had a coffee and. There, I started feeling again. This is my first. I almost have never felt like What's this before. That? I think we should go back. <laughs> so we got back to the hospital, um, and it was instant. As soon as I got back into my room, my waters broke, um, and I went down into the delivery room, and um, that was probably around eleven o'clock on the 29th, I think it was, of December. Had you had much rest at that stage? Cause... Yeah, I said, you know, because I had the day of just waiting the day before, thinking, you know, it's going to happen tonight and then nothing happened and then the next morning. So, yeah, I was quite, yeah, restful and I was really excited as well, um, you know, knowing it was finally happening. I remember feeling so just, yeah, I just couldn't wait. I didn't care what was going to happen. I was just really, really looking forward to that moment of meeting. And we knew we were having a boy as well, so we were just super excited. Um, and then, yeah, I laboured for a long time. Um, and um, I think it got to – sorry, that labour started yeah, around 10.30, 11. Um, and then it got to um, maybe 6 o'clock that night and um, they said – we're going to have to start progressing the labour. Um, and uh, I ended up being able to get to 10 centimetres dilated and got to pushing and they said, oh, look, he, he does seem he's stuck. So um, we're probably going to have to use forceps. So do you want an epidural? And I was like, bloody earth, I do. 
So I got that. And I remember I got the epidural and I thought, why did no one offer this to me hours ago? Um, it was, yeah, the best thing ever. <laughs> um, anyway, they, they tried to do, um, well, I started pushing again. Um, they just thought, no, it's too dangerous. Just go upstairs. And he was classed as an emergency. He was still um, um, completely, they started to use forceps to get him out with the C-section. But um, he was healthy um, and he um, arrived on the 30th of December at 2.35 a.m. So it's a long time. but um, It's a long process that... It was. And I remember I felt really disappointed. I was disappointed because um, I had laboured for so long um, and got to push in. I remember feeling like, oh, I just wish... You know, it's kind of exhausting, obviously, all those hours. Um, and then having just to go up and have a C-section. But the second he was born... I, didn't care and I mean even going up there I didn't care and it was just yeah the best. So did you um, have some midwives throughout that process of those hours when you were laboring that were midwives you'd seen through the clinic? No um, so or on and off yes um, but I didn't have one midwife to me the whole experience. I did have one midwife from the day I was first induced. Um, she was there and she was really helpful. She talked me through, um, you know, uh, when the baby first comes along, breastfeeding, all that kind of stuff. And she sat with me at the night time before um, and just talked about our lives, our husbands, and it was really nice. And then uh, she was with me when I went upstairs as well. So that was really nice. The Caesar. Yeah. And Roscoe at 2.30 in the morning. And then um, that next night or that night, um, but they were understaffed. And if I could set an alarm on my phone – when I needed Penadol, Nurofen, um, they were just too, like if I, and I was like, well, I'm not waking, my, like, well, I'm exhausted and that's your job. Like, can't you come in and wake me up? But also the number one rule around C-sections is you stay on top of your pain. Yeah. You wait until you've got pain. Yeah. Um, and this is in the immediate period afterwards. Yeah, like that night. Um, and so, yeah, they asked, and then we, um, the nurses, well, the nurse that I had most of the time was actually from the children's ward because they just didn't have enough midwives on um, to cater for everyone that was in there. So I had Roscoe on the 30th and I was home on the 1st after a C-section. But that was also my, I kind of put my hand up because one, I felt, I did feel really great, but two, I was, it was 41 degrees at that stage and there was no air con and the beds are like um, that slippery plastic. And I actually had a reaction from the tape from the epidural. Um, so the tape they used on my back gave me a rash. So then the plastic bed was irritating me, the heat. Obviously, I wasn't. I was like, well, I could go home and my husband could get me Penadol and I could yell at him to hurry up. You know? If I'm going to set an alarm, I can yeah, be a bit worse. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was just like, can I go home? I just want to give some context about the heat in Armadale because I've never experienced heat like it. I'm from the south. I'm from Wagga, and we have dry heat very similar to Tamworth. So when it's 40, 41, it's quite manageable. Like yeah. It's hot and it's dry and you you can cool off by getting cold, cool water on yourself or an air con. Armadale is a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah. The humidity mixed with the heat is just 
death. I went home. Obviously, that's really early in yeah. your care to go home. Yeah. You probably haven't had your, you know, third day drop in your hormones. Your baby blues hasn't come in or that that day, you know, you feel a bit rocky. What was the follow-up care like? Where were you referred into? Did someone contact you? Were you having visits at home? What was the postnatal period care like? Um, so we have a community nurse in Urala that works out of the community um, nurse space there. Um, and she came to visit me at six weeks. So I didn't see anyone from when I was... Um, the shutdown period of Christmas. Yeah, well... <clears throat> That as well as, um, I guess, where I live there, it's not really... I mean, you can't drive, you know, when you have a C-section. So um, Karen is her name. She is a community nurse in Urala, based out of Urala. So she came to my house at six weeks. Um, and um, But I guess, you know, if I was having problems or troubles, then, yeah, I could call... I did have her in my blue book. They write the contact details. So I could call her and I did have to go back to the war to get my I had they stapled me they used stitches nine times out of ten but they decided to use staples for me in my stomach Is there a rationale for that I think it was just this locum doctor we described him as like a bull in a china shop he just wanted then, yeah like he was just really great I feel like again if it was now you know a second or third I, I would be more able to say you know I'd, I'd be able to advocate for myself more but because it was my first pregnancy birth, I just kind of let him rule the roost. And then, yeah, anyway, so he Hold on, I've never heard anybody having a C-section and having staples. Yeah, well, I didn't. And so what's the management care like that? So he actually said to me, look, if you get an infection, just go to the pharmacy and get, um, um, it wasn't Dettol, but it was something along the lines of just this. Like a betadine. Something. And he was like, it's going to sting. But it'll just get it'll get rid of the infection, and my husband was just like, "You're not doing that. You'll just go back to the hospital to access um, information about what like birth preparation." You saying you did hit no birth? Yeah. Um, where did you access that? Online. Um, I, uh, I know now there's a lot of um, people who uh, provide that service um, now locally in Tamworth. There's a lady, but at that stage, I had Roscoe in 2018. Um, and there wasn't anyone locally. My sister lived in Sydney at the time and she wanted me to go to a class down there, but traveling, the cost. Um, so I just actually YouTubed, um, some different channels. Um, and with like a lot of the thing, even when you have children, you get told, do this, do that. And I just picked out what I wanted and what felt comfortable with me. Okay. So, um, Took to mothering really well. It sounds like that it, mothering instincts are really, really strong and that the follow-up support was really good. At what point do you say, okay, it's time to add another? Um, so Jake and I got married um, almost when G- uh, Roscoe was almost one. So almost a year later, Jake and I got married on the farm. And um, it's probably maybe another six months after we got married that we thought we'd start trying again for number two. And, um, yeah, there was no um, time frame or anything. We just thought, you know, we'll just see what happens. Again, I still had that thought of, I, you know, I was quite surprised how quick it was with Roscoe and how easy it was. So I, I did have that um, thought of, you know, hopefully it would be the same. But at the same time, I did think, I don't know, like, hope that nothing goes wrong or anything like that. But we did fall quite quickly, actually. Again, it was almost exactly the same thing. It was... 
that month or that next cycle I was pregnant. Yeah. So, and how did that pregnancy progress? Um, at the start, was it was fine. I had all the um, pregnancy sy- symptoms, and um, I was uh, only nauseous with Roscoe from week twelve into I think it was from week twelve onto week twenty six. I was quite you really sick. were the glowy woman. Yes, yeah, so the first uh, trimester with Roscoe, I was like, "This is great, it's great." But then the second trimester into the third wasn't, but it still wasn't that bad. Um, so when I first, yeah, when I was uh, first pregnant, um, I was nauseous, but again, I wasn't sick. So to me, it wasn't a, anything to ring alarm bells or anything because um, that was my experience with Roscoe. Um, it was my husband's birthday and uh, him and his family and I, we went on a family holiday and I was um, about six weeks, seven weeks pregnant then. And we thought we'd tell them because you know, everyone likes to have a drink and whatever, and obviously I couldn't. So, and had you had a dating skin? No, not at that stage. So, um, we told them then that I was pregnant. Um, and and obviously, when you fall pregnant, you, you start thinking about boy, girl, sibling. You know, you already when are they going to be? What's their due date? You look up on the app and everything like that. So, we at this holiday were talking about, um, you know, next family holiday there'll be a sibling running around and. Um, we look at the horoscopes, yeah, and then work out what we're going to get, and then start to then play ourselves out of the game in relation to what are the personality traits we're adding yes. to our family. Yeah, well, we were like, you know, how much harder it's going to be traveling with two, and just enjoy the time now. And um, so it was really, it was just really exciting and fun again, just to talk about what our future is going to look like. Um, and so we came home. I didn't tell anyone else. I didn't tell my, um, my mum. So, um, my dad died when I was five. He had pancreatic cancer and he, um, passed away from being diagnosed to dying. It was nine weeks. So it was really sudden and quick. And he was a great dad. He was so influential. He was just, he left a really beautiful legacy. He was a beautiful dad. Um, so I didn't tell my mum. I thought I'd wait until um, I'd get a little bit further along and I hadn't told – I've got a sister. I just thought, we'll just tell Jake's family while we're there and I'll have my dating scan. So um, it got up to my dating scan. I said to Jake, look, don't worry about coming because the first dating scan's a bit boring, obviously, from Roscoe to a little tap hole, um, you know. And my husband's typical male in every sense. So um, he wouldn't, not that he wouldn't enjoy it, but he kind of just sit there like, okay. Anyway, so I was just like, look, just stay at work. You've seen one lambing scan, you've seen another. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I said, look, I'll call you um, afterwards and go from there. So I went to the, um, at the hospital because I had all my scans and everything with Roscoe at the hospital. Um, so I, I went in there and had um, my scan and... I remember in the waiting room, I was sending a photo to my friends, you know, um, selling them. I was um, about to, I must have actually told my best friend I was going in there because I remember sending her a photo saying I was about to go in there. Um, and I laid down and I knew the sonographer or vaguely knew him. Um, and there was another little girl, oh, yeah, not little, but younger girl in there that I also um, relatively knew. Um, and we're just, you know, having a joke and talking about Roscoe and, um, lay down and, uh, he started scanning and 
there was just a silence and it just went on a little bit too long and it kind of got awkward and I said, oh, is it in there? And he looked at me and said, oh, look, I actually think you're going through the first stages of a miscarriage. There's no heartbeat at the moment and um, there's actually, there's a sack, but there's nothing in the sack. So I was eight weeks at this stage. He said, though, um, we'll do an internal, so it might come up on there, um, but you also might have your dates wrong. What? Um, so he did an internal, and again, there was no heartbeat or anything, um, but he said, look, because you're not bleeding or anything, um, come back in two weeks, and hopefully you've progressed, and it's just you're not as far as what you thought you are. And I want to give some context to our listeners. If you're listening from anywhere other than a rural area, if you go to a rural hospital and you're having your scans done at the hospital, you're not sitting in front of a big plasma no, TV screen like our rural, like our um, our city mums are. You're not seeing this in real time. You're literally staring up at the sky or the roof, trying to have information fed back to you, which I think is um, one of the big issues that we miss out on as women, yeah. of having been able to see it in real time and being able to um, relate what the information that's being given to us to an actual image or what they're seeing, what the sonographer's actually seeing. Yeah. So, um, and I think it's hard to obviously being in a smaller town, you do know a lot of people. So it got then awkward that I knew, and I felt bad then for him that he had to tell me that news. And I... Um, because I was alone, that was actually what brought on a lot of problems for me later on that it initially started from really, um, being alone in that room, being told that information and not having Jake there with me. If obviously if if I had my time again, I would have loved for him to be there. Um, and I tell a lot of friends now, no matter if you're 20 weeks or further along, try and take someone with you because you just never know. So I um, I left and obviously I was, again, walking out through the hospital thinking, please don't see anyone I know because I'm on the obviously brink of tears. I was devastated. Um, and I got outside and rang Drake straight away and just burst into tears and, um, yeah, kind of just said we just have to sit and wait and, I know, I'm not bleeding or I don't have any signs of um, a miscarriage but – there's no heart, there's no baby. Um, anyway, so um, life had to continue. I had to go back to work and um, had to go to the gro- I remember I had to go to the grocery store straight after that appointment. I remember just walking around again thinking, I just don't want to see anyone or talk to anyone. I just want to get in and get out. Um, and then it got to, I think it was about probably, so after that, my obviously my GP got sent that report. And my GP, I had, I've had two GPs throughout um, my pregnancy. My first one, she ended up moving to another practice, but she was um, phenomenal. Shout out to that GP. We love that GP. Yes. Um, Dr. Martha was my original. She, um, yeah, but she was really amazing. Um, she really helped me with um, processing the body not working so basically, I end up having a missed miscarriage. Did she give you the chicken in the oven talk? No, she sounds good. 
She gave, she gave me the chicken in the oven. Okay. Lunch. My husband deeply related to it. He said, she says that your womb or your uterus is like an oven. And just think if you bought a new oven, she's like, you're going to, you're going to burn a few chooks. Yeah. Is actually yeah. related yeah. to my husband. Well, she said something, not that, not the chicken story to me, but it was, she really said, um, helped me say like, look, it's, she, her words were to me, it's your heart protecting your body really. Like, um, for whatever reason, this pregnancy is not working. And for now, this is just what has to happen. When did she step in? Because obviously you've left the hospital being like, maybe, like a big maybe, which is just a mind fucking itself. Oh, totally. And so when did Maha step in and say? Straight away. So two weeks? Or? No, it was like, so I think your report gets sent to her 24 hours, like, like it's almost the next day. Um, she rang me um, and she said, look, we're going to just check your HCG levels. Um, and we're just going to monitor them. If they start to drop, then we know what's going to happen. So over the next week that we started to do that and they did start to drop. So she would ring me at 8 o'clock at night with my results because she knew I was quite anxious about it all. Um, and, she, yeah, she would ring me at night time saying, look, they are dropping have you started any, you know, bleeding or do you have any pain or anything? I you know, no. Um, and then, yeah, so it got to about a week, maybe seven days later, and I went back to her face-to-face um, and I said, look, I'm not dealing with this very well because my body obviously is not processing what you are telling me and I've got to go to work and um, I'm, I just want it to be over with. I'm at the stage mentally where I'm waking up it, Every morning, wondering is today the day? Can we? It, w- what are my options? And the preparation for that, like, do I have spare underwear? Yeah, what clothes am I wearing today? Do I need a pad? Yeah, I went to see Doctor Mihailov, and he said, "Look, your options are either waited out, but obviously you don't want to do that. Uh, there's a pill you can take, and that you know you go home and you take it and um, let the process happen. But because your body obviously isn't." catching up with what's happening he recommended to have a dnc and um and he said look uh i think this is maybe the thursday and he said we'll book you in for wednesday next week that's the next time um you're, if you do start to naturally miscarriage between now and then go, i want you to go straight to hospital don't wait at home um and um we'll go on from there but otherwise we'll see you wednesday so so how long was Wednesday, that Wednesday that they gave you for a DNC, how long was that after your initial ultrasound? So at this stage I was almost eleven weeks. I was ten I was ten and a half weeks by the time I had my so you, DNC. So your ultrasound was at eight weeks and eleven and a half weeks at more ten and a half weeks was my DNC. Okay. So two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. Yeah. Because they wanted because my body wasn't miscarrying. Um, and my levels were dropping, but, um, long time to live in the maybe. Yes. And it was a long time of, um, well, maybe, maybe there is a baby or maybe it will start developing, you know, in my head, I was like, well, everyone's got it wrong. Yeah. And then cause you try and be positive. And then at the same time, like, no, well, they're telling you it's not happening. And I was just such a mind fuck. When I left the hospital though, I was never given any paperwork. I wasn't given anything around you know, a missed miscarriage or aftercare or a number to call if I needed to talk to anyone. It was just, okay, um, so, ha- you know, how's your pain? When you go home, just take neurofin, neurofin, Panadol. Otherwise, 
see you later. That was it. I was never given any paperwork, nothing. I went back to my GP just to talk about, you know, if you want to fall pregnant again, what that looks like, how long you should wait, which is um, at least after you have a full cycle, um, if not two, and then start the process again. It can actually take a long time to get your cycle back, which I think people don't really realise. Yeah, so... And some people, you know, because you – and it is confusing. It feels confusing to being a woman that you don't really get it either. Like I remember thinking, okay, so I just – like if you're thinking about dates for your period, I just bled for my DNC. So does that mean that that date is when – you can't, you don't really know then when your next period's coming. It's just, that in itself yeah, EHD mind feel yeah. of – Trying to work out what your cycle is going to look yeah, like. Yeah, and it's really messed up, to be honest. Um, so I think um, we started waiting. Well, we, I think we waited around the two-month period before we thought, do we try again? So, and at this stage, the support networks you've got in place is your GP. Yeah. And in that stage, I was pretty good mentally. Um, obviously, I was sad, um, especially the lead-up to the DNC um, so when I had the DMC, I had to go for a final scan and was during COVID as well, the start of COVID, very start. Um, and Jake wasn't allowed to come into the scanning room with me, even though it was at the hospital, even though he was at the hospital in my ward with me, um, he wasn't allowed in the scanning room. And I had obviously problems with being alone in the scanning room initially. So then when I had to go back into that same room that I was first told about, this miscarriage, and still they had to scare me and say, oh, no. Um, so, Claire, you said you and Jake were going to wait two months. You waited the two months and then you were going to start trying again. So tell me what it was like going back into that process. Um, obviously, I was scared, um, but I really wanted a second trial. Um, so I was, um, I guess, still excited um, to try again because we had – fallen so quickly with both of those pregnancies with Roscoe in that one. Um, I thought, you know, it'll be hopefully quick again. Um, so th- we didn't fall straight away again. It was maybe um, a month of trying a period and then the next month, I think it was. So it was, again, quite quickly. Um, but we were going on our first camping trip, the three of us, and I uh, thought I'll, I'll do a pregnancy test just before I go because um, – there's drinking and whatever, so. Um, but and also, who can wait? I know, and that's what, and I was like, I got, a, I can definitely say later on um, with my story, I got addicted to uh, pregnancy tests. Um, but exactly, as soon as you are able to take a pregnancy test, I was, I'm that person that, oh, I'm taking it. Um, so I. I'm the woman that fishes back <coughs> through the bin. To get her pregnancy test out to just triple check it in the different light and then re-bin it because it's definitely negative. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did a pregnancy test and it was positive. So I was like, oh, like, again, excited. Obviously, I was a little bit more scared this time, um, but um, definitely more excited. I tried to just put that experience to the side and just think, okay, well, surely it won't happen again. And they say, you know, um, if you do have a miscarriage, that you actually got better chances of having than a normal pregnancy afterwards. So I just tried to focus a lot on that. Um, so um, I think that was the Friday. And then the Sunday um, we were leaving the campsite 
um, to come home and I went to the toilet before I left and I had blood. So um, obviously drove home and um, obviously uh, just feeling and getting like an out-of-body experience just the whole way home just thinking what's happening. Like Your mind must be in two places because, you know, you hear that those pregnancy tests are 99.9% accurate and actually I had some young people in clinic who had a positive pregnancy test and they were like, oh, no, 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 it might be wrong. And I was like, to be a positive pregnancy test on a on a blood sample, you have to have like, I don't know, so many parts per million of HCG in your blood. And I think it's like above 100. And those pregnancy <clears throat> tests, those pee on the sticks, pick up anything from like 15 or 20. Yeah. And so it's like, no, they're actually really accurate. Oh, yeah. Really sensitive. was actually a really clear, like you could, Tell there's a line there, um, and um, I actually remember um, writing at the month on the um, on the stick because I kept the stick because I had already uh, from Roscoe I had kept his pregnancy um, positive sticks. So when I got this positive, I kept it, um, and then even when I got home from the camping, it was still the line. The two lines were still there, so that's why I was just like, "What's happening?" Um, so I went back to the GP and said this had happened and um, again it was kind of like, yeah, because you've had your DNC and it's probably, you know, maybe your body's just trying to recover, um, at, you know, because you haven't had more than three miscarriages, we still have to just kind of wait it out. It's a waiting game really. Um, there's not much we can do testing-wise. They don't really dive into testing until you have more than three miscarriages. So, uh, you know, again, I just kind of felt like, well, i try again next month, I suppose. So there wasn't any medical intervention offered then? Did you Not just, at that stage, no. Did So did you miscarry that baby? Yeah, so the, um, that type of pregnancy is called a chemical pregnancy. So you'll test positive on a stick or on a pregnancy test. Um, but three or four days later, sometimes up to a week, um, you'll get what if you don't do a test. So if you don't do the test the second you're... You just get a late pregnancy. Yeah, a lot of women might think it's just their period. I mean, that <laughs> perfect, you know, buy six, get one free box. Yes, and that's exactly what I was buying, like, bulk pack. That is, like, marketing yeah. genius. And I would, I mean, it's not like I would do the one test. I would do oh, no. the one test and then maybe that afternoon I'd do another one. Or, um, you know, when I got back from the camping trip, I did another one. And obviously I had my period then. So nothing came up, but um, yeah, I was definitely buying. So your mind and your body are not on the same page. No, and I, that's when I started to really disconnect from my body with my mind because my body was really letting me down, and I didn't even know what a mis- miscarriage was. Um, I just thought you'd have a miscarriage and know about it. Um, I never heard of it before. I think I was thirty-one when I had my mis- miscarriage, and I did feel. I remember feeling humiliated or embarrassed because I'm a woman and I'd never heard of it before. I also had never heard of a chemical pregnancy either. Um, so getting told all of this stuff from my GP was, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, I can't really describe it other than, and I just felt like I wasn't in my body. It just really... Your mind's telling you one thing, like <clears throat> read this pregnancy test, you understand its accuracy, you understand how it works and what it's measuring, 
but it's in total conjecture to your actual body and your body's experience of bleeding. And you know that's not okay in pregnancy. So mm. you've got these two things that are just really kind of against each other. Yeah. So it was really difficult. Um, <clears throat> I, I know, was only getting older as well. Um, and they, uh, they, the doctors, were saying there's not really much you can do. So um, I got to my um, my birthday. My birthday's in January and we always go away. And... Um, I my birthday's on Australia Day, <clears throat> and I was due to get my period, so I thought I'll do a pregnancy test. And I was this is the next month. No, this is so. Um, but at this stage, I had three chemical pregnancies. You had three chemical pregnancies. I was about to have my fourth, so I was on my away from my birthday. I was at my friend's house, and I did. Um, I peed on the stick, <clears throat> and I showed her because it was two lines. I said, "But don't worry." Did. It's your birthday, you pee on the stick, you get two lines. But also part of me wants to be like, were you showing her to be like, hey, am I hallucinating? Are these lines turning up? Can you see what I see? Because I had told her about, you know, these chemical pregnancies and told her about what was happening. So then when I did do it and showed her, she was like, no, you're pregnant. And I was like, I know, but. It, I, Babe, it's not going to be there yeah. tomorrow. And it wasn't. I just got my period on my birthday. It took me to five. So I got home and I went back to my GP and she said, look, we're going to start testing you because obviously you're having too many. Um, so she, these were concurrent, like every month this was happening. So like I said, I could fall pregnant super quick, um, but I couldn't keep them. So you've had five recurrent miscarriages. Yeah. And it was um, Christmas, my birthday time. And at this time, I would have been six months pregnant with that first mis- miscarriage. If I hadn't miscarried that baby, I would have been six months pregnant. Um, and when I was pregnant, before I knew I was going to first lose that pregnancy, um, I did think about Christmas time and being pregnant and the last Christmas with Roscoe. And I even imagined myself around the kitchen table, everyone fussing, you know, being like, oh, I get so excited. And because I had all these recurrent um, miscarriages and I wasn't pregnant again, it really started to weigh on my mind and my uh, emotional state that I wasn't pregnant and it looks like I'm probably, like, at this stage, I felt like I probably never would be again. So I started to mentally really suffer. Um, and then in that January, so after my fourth chemical pregnancy, and then when I got back from holidays, I went back to my GP and said, obviously, I've had all these chemical pregnancies. And also, um, I said, I'm not, I don't want to be medicated, but um, I'm, I know, I mean, from my experience of losing my dad, I know what it's like to be anxious and sad and whatever, but this is another level. Um, and I don't want to be medicated, but what is that? Is there something I can do naturally or? And she said, look, I think you need to start to see a therapist or go see someone. Uh, so she did a mental health check um, on me and I got referred to a psychologist um, and that was at Centre Care in Armadale. So I got six free appointments um, and I started to go and see her. So when I went to see her, she was really good with describing where my anxieties were coming from. I described about, you know, 
losing my dad and death and then that how that then related to me with death around my babies that I had lost really um yeah and because I had you know I uh, try to think of my dad still in my life and I try and think you know he's my son Roscoe is named after my dad my dad was Ross and named Roscoe after him and I always kind of thought he would protect me and be there for me but then when all this stuff started happening I started thinking you know maybe this is you know he's not around or I don't know just it was really I was just so I wouldn't say I was depressed but I was the saddest I've ever been but it's rocking your core beliefs yeah I had my I was up to my third appointment with her and I was actually pregnant with Jimmy at this stage um but I had so my GP, like I said, was really good, Dr. Um, Ali. She did her own testing. So without um, – she just did what she could in the in the practice. So um, <clears throat> I did actually test positive to forming. You have to have three tests for this symptom. And I did test on the first test positive to forming small blood clots. Um, so I, um, I got that news and then they said you'd have to wait three months to do another test. So try not to fall pregnant in that three months. But in my head, I was like, well, it's already been almost a year. Try telling a woman who really <coughs> wants a baby not to fall pregnant or not to try. Yeah. And again, in my head, I was um, 31, I think. Um, and my dad died when he was 40s. And I've always just thought, you know, life is so short. What if, and if I'm just waiting and then I had this fear around death and, um, I feel I felt silly still trying to have a baby. They didn't say I couldn't, but they just said, "Look, because you did test the positive once, you do need to kind of wait to see if you test again, positive again." So, um, but we did fall pregnant before that third month test. Uh, so Dr. Mihailov just said, "Look, if you get to six weeks being viable with that pregnancy, we'll just treat you as completely positive for this blood clotting." problem um so at the same time I was seeing this psychologist as well um so once I did fall pregnant with Jimmy um it then I dived into major anxiety um and I eventually got um diagnosed with PTSD um and that was a range from what had happened to me in childhood as well as my experience with these multiple miscarriages and my fear around death and <clears throat> my body failing me and not realising it because I was petrified that if my body hadn't told me all these times before there was something wrong and now I'm pregnant with Jimmy, is he going to tell me that there's something wrong again? What did that look like for you? What did that perinatal anxiety look like for you? Um, it was, I think I, I wasn't rational at all in my thinking. Um, I'm usually pretty level-headed and I try to, like I said before, try and think positively and I have since childhood with my dad's stuff and um, I try to always live my life glass half full and I just, I couldn't. My mind um, just wouldn't take me down that positive road. Just dooms prepping you, always Uh dooms prepping. Every day, every day I woke up. Um, it was. So if I miscarried today, this is how I'm going to marry. Uh huh. And then the next day, it was literally okay. So if you're miscarriage, you know you've done it before. You'll survive. It wasn't about I'm pregnant. How exciting! 
like it was with Roscoe. And then I started to feel that guilt. Well, now you're pregnant. This is what you've wanted. And now I feel I'm crying every second of the day. I was just miserable. Um, so Dr. Mihailov said to me um, to wait until I got to six weeks um, uh, through my pregnancy to make sure he was viable. And so there's a heartbeat. We're going to start treating you for this blood clotting problem um, as well as you're going to be um, treated as a high-risk pregnancy. Um, there's a different plan that you're going to be on anyway. Uh, so I went to that to that scan and obviously the night before um, the panic just set in and I was crying to Jake on the lounge and I was convinced my legs would not walk me from the car into that appointment. I was just... I, I just remember crying, just saying, like, I know my legs won't take me. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get in there. And um, this, I've just never felt so shit. I just hated it, hated hated the whole experience. Um, but we got in there and there was a heartbeat and obviously just cried. And I was, I was really happy, obviously, and um, it was a really, it was a really happy moment. But I was like, okay don't get too excited because you know what can happen. Um, and then from there, um, I was heavily medicated from six weeks until just after birth. And that was with Clexane? Um, so I was on Clexane, um, aspirin, and I had another, I had to take another injection for the first trimester. <clears throat> so I told the so I saw Dr. Mahalo from six weeks onwards. I never saw a midwife until I gave birth. So um, and at which you turned and thought, "This is actually going to happen." No, at no at no point throughout your pregnancy and your anxiety, no. did you were you like, "I'm actually going to have a baby"? Not until he was in my arms. Yeah, it was really it was tough. Um, yeah, it was just not fun the whole experience but I'm just so grateful for that time with Roscoe because I felt like I, I do know what it's like to be happy pregnant and that experience so I'm really happy and grateful that that happened to me first and that this horrible or this other horrible stuff happened to me the second time around and I always refer to it as like a switch being turned on or off my body or something had just turned off after Roscoe and um, yeah, I just felt I just wouldn't get there. And that was where my anxieties stemmed from, from I had no um, faith. I really just had no optimism that it was going to end well um, because I had been let down all these times before. Um, so when we got to about 20 weeks, um, I had I was getting scans almost monthly and that's really hard too, just taking you back because when you physically look parent pregnant and you're approaching those end weeks, people are like, are you so excited? Like not long to go now. And you're just like, mate, if I make it. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to about 20 weeks and they did a scan and it looked like Jimmy may stop growing. Um, and he, Dr. Mahalov explained to me it was something from the start of my pregnancy that it could have happened. And then that just set me off again with my, well, if you knew this could have happened from the start, I would have been able to prepare myself. You haven't told me this, what else haven't you told exactly. me? Exactly. And that's exactly what I felt like 
um, that there was more to come. Um, so he said, look, we might have to deliver in um, at 30 weeks and you'll have to go to Newcastle um, and we'll go from there. And so then for the next 10 weeks, I was thinking, okay, so I've got to pack a bag, um, prepare to leave Roscoe. So need to obviously I need Jake with me, but then who has Roscoe? We don't live close to town. And also farming wives are always thinking about in the context of when are we lambing? When are we carving? <coughs> when are we cropping? Yeah. When does that have to come off? Yeah. When they're game predicted, all of these types of things. Yeah. And we were um, mid-drought, I think, at this stage as well. So um, we had stuff at home going on with the drought. Um, and, um, yeah, it was just, just another thing added onto the already uh, shitty time. Um Thankfully, I didn't, at 30, we did a lot of scanning and tests and he was fine. So at 30 weeks, it was just, in my head, I just thought, make it to 34 because they can deliver in Armadale from 34 weeks. Um, and then if anything goes wrong, you can go from there. But um, I ended up also getting, I didn't have it with Roscoe, but I got gestational diabetes with Jimmy and I got that phone call. I was on my way to work and I just put into the car park and they rang me and said, look, you've got um, gestational diabetes. And I hung up and I was just hysterically crying in my car, just thinking, again, something else is wrong. And then they tell you, you know, obviously you've got to look out for the, the baby. Yeah, the risk factors. And um, it wasn't even that big of a deal. But to me at the time, I was just hearing again, there was something wrong or even in my head I just thought there's going to be, you know, I'm going to go into early labour and I've got this blood clotting problem and all this but stuff. But all the while this information is re-cementing that original thought that you highlighted before that my body is in complete opposition to what I want and what my brain wants and what my heart holds. Yeah, yeah. So I got to 37 weeks and it was a planned C-section but because he was coming so early, um, I had to have a steroid shot um, and I was on, um, I was getting medicated for having gestational diabetes. So when you have steroids and the gestational diabetes, it can muck everything up. So I got admitted two days before my C-section um, just to be monitored and checked out. So that was fine. Um, <clears throat> and then... Um, yeah, they said to me, they wouldn't. So I, I got admitted on the, on the Wednesday and Jake came up with me and um, was able to sit with me during the day. He was there all day, really. He went to work on the Thursday and the Thursday afternoon he works in Armadale. So um going to visit me on the Thursday afternoon. And I saw, I could see him from my window walking. But then it took a while to get up into the room and I get a, a phone call from him and he said, I'm downstairs. Um, they're not letting any more patients or like carers or anyone come into the, um, in the wards anymore. They've just changed their policy at the hospital um, where you can't have visitors because of COVID. And so I went, I walked down to the front desk um, with the midwives and said, Jake is downstairs. And they said, then um, not letting him come up. And because I hadn't seen the midwives, I'd always seen the specialist. They didn't know my history with my anxieties or um, problems I had had. <clears throat> so I started to cry and get upset. That, and she said, 
you know, you can go downstairs and see him. I said, no, but like, I need him with me. Like he's my security blanket. And I have, um, I said, I have major anxiety problems. I'm giving, supposed to go in tomorrow for birth. And obviously I'm, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm on edge. Positive for the birthing ward as well. Yeah. You weren't allowed a birth partner. No, he could come, um, in for the birth, but, and then only stay for three hours after. So you could only really be there while you're having active labor and then for three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so even the thought of that, I just thought, well, in my head, I've always without, um, throughout Jimmy's pregnancy, um, like uh, I knew once I held him in my hands, I would be okay mentally, emotionally. I just wanted to hold him. I just wanted to get to that moment of holding him so I knew outside of that moment, Claire, you need someone to hold you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And I and trying to explain that to someone who didn't know my history or knew my pregnancy, I'm in the middle of the hallway with other mums walking around crying, saying, Everyone's "I'm not in the same situation." Yeah, and I was like, "But I'm not. Like, I'm I'm not mentally. Like, I actually am not mentally okay. Like, I don't actually feel stable." enough to be here by myself like I I'm starting to like I'm having a panic attack at this stage and as a mum I think you get to that point where you're vocalizing that out loud you're at the like that's something you hold with you yeah so tight so yeah because there's this whole time I've been trying and because um Mahalov had made these comments about you know he didn't want mums to go home and worry you know and worry about this or that I tried to also be um, when he would tell me information not to cry or not to get upset because I didn't want the doctors or anyone to think I was this crazy, um, unstable, pregnant, well, crazy. Don't tell her that information because we're not sure how she'll respond. Yeah. Um, even though I had said multiple times, I'm not that type of person. I'm the opposite. If you don't tell me stuff and then I find out you could have told me or I would have known this if you had just, told me all the, the possibilities of this happening, blah, 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 I'd be fine. Crying is a part of processing. So we know from a therapeutic process that when you cry, you actually externalise and you get rid of those feelings and crying is actually really therapeutic. Yeah. I don't always think if you if we see crying as a sign of weakness as mothers, what, where are we at? I know. And it's such, and I'm like this whole losing one pregnancy and then losing multiple pregnancies, um, has completely changed me as a person, even now. But even back then, um, it even changed my relationship with my husband. You know, even trying to have babies turned for me, it was a job. Um, I didn't really want him near me unless it was that time of month. It turned into, um, because it just kept happening, the miscarriages just kept happening so often. And even when I, because it was mid-COVID, even taking a COVID test gave me anxiety because of seeing the, the lines. Waiting for the lines. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was just, there are so many factors that people, I don't think, understand what happens to you when you do have a pregnancy loss um, and the absolute emotional toll it takes on you in your work life. Uh, Jake on the ward? No. So they said I could go downstairs and see him. So we went outside and... It just defeats <coughs> that because you're coming back on the ward anyway. And he was there 
with me the day, the full day before. So if he had COVID, I had COVID. Um, I was also unvaccinated because of my problems. Um, anyway, again, it was just, let's just get over it. I just need to move on because I need to focus on what's happening tomorrow morning. So you felt the pragmatic. Yes. So as much as, as sad as it was, and he is such a security blanket for me, um, I just had to move on. But yeah, he, he was allowed back in the next morning. And then it was um, just the prepping to get ready to go in to have a C-section. That was really, um, I was obviously really anxious. It was, I was still in that moment of it's not going to happen. It's something's still going to go wrong. Just prepare yourself because something will probably go wrong between now and getting up there. Um, but everything went fine. Um, he was delivered um, at 9, 9.30, I think it was, that morning. So nice and early. Yeah, nice and early. Um, no fasting all day for you. No. And it was, so Roscoe was in the emergency section. This was planned. So it was a lot more calmer situation. The doctors were really lovely and nice. Um, and, yeah, he was born. And, yeah, the second I held him, I was fine. I was just felt at peace again. And it just literally, I actually felt like it left my body. And that whole experience was just over with. And, um, yeah, there's just been a few things throughout the whole. So when I was throughout my pregnancy, I really obviously can't take medication for anxieties or depression. Um, so I tried to do things naturally to try and help myself. And we actually planted a tree. My husband and I, it's called Little Gem. And um, we planted it. And then on the, I would have had that first baby um, in March. And the week of my due date, um, it started to bloom at first, its first bud. It, um, and I thought, if it blooms on its due date, I've just got to like take it as a good sign and just and it did. And on the morning, I was making my coffee. My wind, my kitchen window looks out to where we planted the tree, and that's why we planted it there, so we could look at it. And I looked down, and it was fully this beautiful white bloom flower on it. Just one, and it's only ever bloomed that one time. I'd like to think that that kind of reconfirmed those core beliefs. You know how you were talking about that they were really shaken. That your aunt was out there looking out yeah. for you. Yeah, um, that that might have brought those core beliefs. Back. It did. Yeah, it did. I hope that people, when they hear my story and they've gone through a lot of troubles and they feel like they're never going. So I started thinking, what am I, if I can't have another baby, do I adopt or do we foster or are we just happy? Jake was really happy with just having Roscoe, um, but um, I really wanted that second sibling or I really love family. So for me, it was more... How do I overcome those obstacles if I can't fall pregnant again? And I just hope when if someone hears my story or someone similar, um, that they just use it as their way of getting through that bad day. That um, yeah, it, it, as low as you can feel that yeah, there is hopefully one day soon something will just turn that switch will turn back on, and you'll get what you what you really want at the end of the day. Thank you so much, Claire. And thanks so much for sharing your story. Thank you.
Herd recognises the traditional lands and waters on which this podcast was recorded.